Hello and welcome to How to Save the World podcast with myself, Tim Bat And Waveney Worth. Hi, Tim. Hi. This is a podcast where we discuss sustainability stuff, things um, that you can implement to change your life and the world around you. And uh, periodically, we like to do good news episodes because I think it's important to balance out all the negative press because the news is by design there to bum you out and report on all the horrible things that are happening around the world and in the environment and in the um, ecological space on we're planet a bit, Earth. We're a bit geared, apparently, evolutionarily, to uh, focus on the negative because that's usually the more important thing. The threats. The We're going to focus on the threats. But the thing is, we actually need to focus on the positive stuff as well um, because that kind of strengthens our resolve and it inspires and it helps us um, get and, through and make changes. And it's balanced. And it's balanced like, as well. It's giving you a more accurate picture it's of what's actually, actually It is happening. actually more accurate. It's awesome. So this is one of those episodes. We've accrued um, a couple of items of good news each and uh, we're here to share them with you. So, Wave, do you want to kick off? Well, yes, I'd love to. Thanks for asking. Um, my first thing is just a little shout-out, real um, short comment. Uh, there was a festival earlier this month just out of Auckland called the Spirit Festival. It had thousands of – I'm not quite sure how many, but I'd say easily thousands of festival goers. And their vendors, their food – all the food trucks and things, all the vendors, all of them had nothing to serve the food on. Wow. Isn't that amazing? So unless you were going up to that vendor with your own plate or cup, um, the vendor couldn't give you food. Fantastic. So, wow, that's so cool. Do you know if festival goers were encouraged to bring something? Yes, it was all part of the pack. That is so good. Not hard. No, and they've done it. It's awesome. Bring a plate. And I'll bet they've knocked out like a staggering amount of waste from there. You see those overflowing bins when you go to even like food festivals, like food truck, um, you know, events. Oh, I just loved it. That did fill me with joy hearing that. That's so great. Um, Well, I'll give a little mini shout out then as well. They're off the back of our household cleaners episode where you researched all of the- Oh, yes. Different items that I had in my, in my bathroom and in my kitchen under the sink to do all the different cleaning. Um, and you basically said, you don't need that stuff. You need vinegar, baking soda, and maybe some salt yeah. for, for stains. And uh, happy to report I've been getting on the vinegar bars. So, um, is it working? It is working, yeah. But, and what I've noticed as well is that, because I did a little bit more research just to kind of solidify the stuff afterwards, and the vinegar is such a good odour remover. So um, there's been a couple little incidents with my little doggy spewing up, which is what they do <laughs> in the house. So clean it up and then um, chuck vinegar on it. And it, re- it like has been incredibly effective at lifting all the gunk out of the carpet yeah, and then killing, awesome. killing the smell as well. That is good news. So it's like, A, super easy to use. Already had it in the cupboard. B, incredibly cheap. Like vinegar is so cheap. And uh, C, really good for the environment versus mm. putting, you know, some toxic stuff on there. It's a classic case of uh, vinegar just being so cheap that therefore uh, there's no big marketing campaign behind it because it's not really in anyone's financial interest. Right. So same for baking soda. It's, it's like, like this, un- this this big hidden secret of Yeah, of because the marketers aren't behind it, um, which, you know, is just cool everyone's just doing their thing but it's like once you discover it's not it's not always that the products that are most in your face are the best performing absolutely or we've always got this association between cost and effectiveness and it is not true in this case at at all. all at all at all really cool awesome um 
Oh yes, earlier this month, it's my, my moving on to the new news. Um, so that's March 2020. Finance Minister Grant Robertson and Commerce Consumer Affairs Minister Chris Farfoy announced that the default KiwiSaver fund will be changing. A couple of changes. One is that it's going to change from a conservative to a balanced fund. A little bit, little bit more risk, but not necessarily over the longer term. Um, and that that default fund will divest, uh, divest, as in move away from investing in the fossil fuel sector. Writ large. Yes. That is fantastic. So it's huge. That default KiwiSaver fund is what happens. Uh, so if you're listening from overseas or you're just not particularly tuned in, um, about, hmm, I want to say about 15, 12 years ago, something like that, the um, Helen Clark's government introduced a superannuation savings scheme called KiwiSaver that encouraged people to put some of their money in and it got matched a little bit by your employer and a little bit by the government as well and that gets invested like a 401k that they have in America or wherever else. And um, the default fund is if you don't pick your own fund with a bank or a provider or a fund manager, they will just lump all your money into um, one of these approved by the government funds that usually the big banks run. Yeah, apparently it's about 715,000 people's savings. That's huge. That is massive. Over a billion New Zealand dollars. And as a percentage as well of the total KiwiSaver investment um, sort of nest egg that must represent a massive it's portion pretty huge it. and the other thing is that it's not just the fossil fuel sector it's it's basically they're saying we want this money to be invested ethically so actually the other win here is that the government is now saying we don't think investing in fossil fuels is ethical so and this has actually um, a big win for our friends at 350 um, yeah. Aotearoa because they actually are the ones so we had Erica Finney in here mm-hmm. um, amazing woman incredible organisation and, and they have campaigned, like they've strategically campaigned to get this KiwiSaver default fund turned into a uh, fossil fuel free fund and they've done it. Not all lobbyists are assholes. Sometimes they're trying to make the government do good things. I imagine Generation Zero probably had a hand in this as well. Um, yeah, that's such great news. So cool. Man, that rules. Well... I've got some uh, financial stuff as well, which we have touched upon in a previous episode, but I just wanted to get in in a little more depth. So we talked in a previous Good News episode earlier this year about BlackRock, which are the largest fund manager on earth. They manage $7.4 trillion, trillion with a T, uh, US dollars worth of assets around the globe, and they're run by a guy called Larry Fink. And every year, Larry Fink sends out a letter to the world's CEOs um, to indicate basically what BlackRock thinks they should be doing. And because they manage so much money, they have to take this incredibly global and quite long-term view of what's happening. So I just want to read um, a couple of paragraphs that he wrote in the CEO to uh, sorry in this letter to CEOs this year. In previous years, he's he's asked for other things that these companies have enacted very quickly. And considering the size of these companies, it's incredible. Um, one example is previously he asked for um, li- large corporations to move away from um, quarterly guidance. Uh, giving quarterly guidance to the markets all the time, which is like financial performance um, that they're guessing four times a year. And he said it's it's everyone's getting so focused on these short-term potential returns that it's causing companies to act in crazy ways to keep squeezing the juice out, which is always the way with kind of 
this capitalist non-stop reporting cycles everyone's just trying to increase mm. their profits by two percent or whatever yeah, every it's single like quarter. if you had an election every quarter exactly ridiculous. And, it, and it removes mm, any long-term cool. thinking okay. and uh companies like unilever just removed their quarterly guidance instantly so it, it's pretty massive so here's what he put in this year's letter Climate change has become a defining factor for companies' long-term prospects. Last September, when millions of people took to the streets to demand action on climate change, many of them emphasised the significant and lasting impact it will have on economic growth and prosperity, a risk that markets to date have been slower to reflect. But awareness is rapidly changing, and I believe we are on the edge of a fundamental reshaping of finance. Investors are increasingly reckoning with these questions and recognising that climate risk is investment risk. Indeed, climate change is almost invariably the top issue that clients around the world raise with BlackRock. From Europe to Australia, South America to China, Florida to Oregon, investors are asking how they should modify their portfolios. Now, I want to stress, this is not like BlackRock and fund managers are good people. This is reflective of them responding to activists and consumers and people putting the pressure on them to do the right thing. This is like a bottom-up grassroots movement that has been happening over decades. People like Waveney. People out there who have been pushing for all of these changes with their local governments. People like 350, Generation Zero. People, people like you, ground. Tim, because what I that take home the thing that jumped like popped out from what you read there was that that is he specifically said in response to thousands or millions of people all marching. over that marching, and yeah. that's actually he's referring to the school strikes climate marches, right? Like totally. that, that was the big movement last year, absolutely. Which and you went on, I couldn't because I was on crutches at the time. Um, and I, you know. I want to stress this: this doesn't paint um, BlackRock as, as saviors or anything, because they were involved with the um, the initial public well, hey, offering of Black, Saudi Arabia's BlackRock oil but, um, industry. But it, I, I I just think that it, well, I don't know. It might be too much of a pragmatist, but it doesn't matter. I don't think too much. It's like let's just focus on outcomes. Yeah, that's what we totally. need. Eh? Uh, oh, I, sorry. Actually, I I read my notes slightly wrong there. So that. Um, let me throw a quote from Greta Thunberg at you that she said in Davos in January. The biggest action is not inaction. The real danger is when politicians and CEOs are making it look like real action is happening when in fact almost nothing is being done apart from clever accounting and creative PR. Um, so that, for example, Goldman Sachs, one of the biggest banks on earth, um, they pledged $750 million, uh, sorry, billion to sustainable finance-related projects over the next decade um, from the bank. But, you know, on the flip side of that, they were also instrumental in launching uh, Saudi Americo, which is Saudi Arabia's nationalised petroleum company, onto global market. So it's like, you know, take take these things with a grain of salt from these big corporations. But some companies are taking it to heart. So that was all the context for the actual good news bit that I wanted to tell you about Microsoft. Um, so Microsoft have committed to going carbon negative by 2030. So... Carbon negative. We've heard a lot about carbon neutrality, and there's a couple of pathways to get there. Um, Being carbon neutral simply means that the organization you are a part of is finding a way to offset all of the carbon they're producing from their economic activity. 
um, to get to zero. Uh, companies have different approaches to this. Usually it's a combination of things. A lot of companies, especially bigger ones who have the ability to, will move on to renewables wherever they can. And for the rest of the um, sort of externalities that create carbon being released into the atmosphere, they'll buy offset credits so that they'll plant trees somewhere else on Earth so that they get to carbon neutral. What Microsoft is committing to, and they're not the only company doing this, but they are a really big. big visible one, is they're committing that by 2030 to actually pull all the carbon out of the atmosphere that they have contributed since their founding in 1975. What? So for the entire lifetime of the company, they have committed themselves to getting that carbon out. They are investing, I think it's $4 billion. I'm just trying to find the, uh, the figures here. Um, a, a huge amount of money into trying to, oh, sorry, $1 billion over the next four years to fund innovation in reducing, capturing, and removing carbon from the atmosphere. So Microsoft have already um, committed to going on 100% uh, renewable power within, I think, two years really should have organized these notes a little bit better so I could see them more easily. Um, by the way, Apple's been doing it for two years already. They've been on 100% renewable like power for Tim a couple of years. gestured towards me then, <laughs> Apple girl. Um, yeah, well, you, you've always in here with your MacBook, so yep. that's something. And Microsoft, I think why this is such exciting news, and, you know, I'll, I'll get to the kind of potential other side of this in a, in a moment but why this is so exciting is because when companies like microsoft commit to doing these sorts of moonshots these huge projects they are literally investing money into discovering new technologies or refining existing technologies that will then be able to yes. be, get exported to the globe yeah so the analogy that i always think of is the space race right America and Russia both committed to putting a man on the moon and they had no idea how they were going to do it when they first started that commitment in the start of the 60s or the 50s, late 50s even. But through throwing all of their human and financial resources into the singular goal, they invented all Incredible of these technologies yeah. that we use for completely different reasons now. They invented Teflon. They invented um, the smoke detector technology we use in our houses. Uh, and all of these things are now so cheap because their initial investment had to be made to make the discovery and then it gets refined and then it gets commercialized and then it gets refined even more. And that is what I think will absolutely happen with carbon sequestration. It's what happened with solar technology. Um, with solar power, the prices went from $30 per watt in 1980 to less than a dollar per watt today. Hmm. So it's, it's gone down by a factor of one thirtieth. Um, over 40 years. And so I think it's, yeah, just a matter of time before places like Microsoft throwing all this money in allows these technologies to be exported around the world and more companies who aren't quite as forward-looking or willing to put their money up go, oh, this actually is kind of way more cost-effective than it used to be, so we can implement this yeah, as well. Yeah, that's really encouraging. And yeah. I, I get encouraged on another level around um, the fact that we're making a difference, that there's a sea change, that these huge organisations are, are not just thinking about this stuff but are acting. Yeah. This, this is what we need globally, a, a humankind, and it's exciting to it, see some stuff happening. It is exciting. 
there's uh, there has been some critics of these sorts of movements into carbon sequestration, which is when you literally suck carbon out of the atmosphere. Um, because there's some people who say if we're putting all our chips on that, it's not going to dissuade polluters from putting, you know, reducing the uh, the amount that they're putting in in the first place. Just because I was talking about Microsoft before, they have committed to reducing. Either, they've been doing it over time, but reducing the um, amount of carbon that they're putting into the atmosphere yeah. by quite I, a significant amount. I as guess well. it's just remembering that it's a really complicated problem with a complicated solution. The, and, and there'll be more and, than you know, one. Let's not sort of diss a particular um, component of that solution just by saying, well, it doesn't address this or that. We will solve yeah. this by myriad yes, different yeah, methods. Yes, a thousand death by, or life by a thousand reverse paper cuts. <laughs> What's the opposite of a paper cut? I a sip know. of water. <laughs> <laughs> Hydration by a pinprick of water. Um, my turn? Yeah. Um, I've mentioned Mint Innovation before. Um, yeah. For those of you who uh, yeah, don't know those guys, it's a Wellington-based company um, that are amazing. They've developed a way to extract the precious metals like gold and copper out of e-waste using microbes that just simply eat and extract their favourite metal. So there's a microbe that will find gold in a circuit board and, I don't know, make it into a nugget. I looked into these guys after we did the episode where you brought them up because they are so, so interesting. Cool. Yes, They've got yes. these big grinder machines that smash everything up to like this tiny, it's almost like yep. a fine powder. Yes, and then they and make then it soluble. It turns into a, a liquid. And then I think they've, they might have like genetically engineered these certain microbes that can go out and look for, or they either discovered them or sort of... Have managed to engineer them. I don't them. think they genetically engineered them. I think they're naturally occurring. Right, but they just managed to find the right ones that can go and hunt out the gold and eat it. Yeah, incredible. So anyway, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so um, they are enabling like clean recovery of uh, – an interesting thing is that people have tried – I guess people have understood that these microbes are around, but cyanide gets typically used. And it's so – I mean, it's such a bizarre thing um, – if you're using cyanide, then arguably that's got a bigger environmental impact than the e-waste in the first place. So you've really got to look at the fact that it's this is a clean technology. It's the sort of thing you'd be happy to have in your, your home city. Um, and you they're recovering all of this these genuine uh, precious metals that are expensive to get. Yeah. And they're just recovering it right here out of our trash. Um and the conflict-free metals, which is huge. When you think about where does our gold come from, where do all of these things come from? You know, some horrendous stories of, that we're hearing um, from these the pits of all of these places around the world, mm. mining specific chemicals and um, See, minerals uh, and things. Recent episode on cell phones. Yes. If you want to know about There's that, a lot of back referencing going on, <laughs> eh? Um, what are we going to be like in 10 years time? <laughs> it won't even be an episode. It'll just be like, listen to this one, listen yeah, to this oh, one, listen to this thing one. And that thing and I remember the good old days when we had new content. Um, so these guys have been tried, it's been started off in the lab. And now the exciting thing about it is that they have recently, or last year in 2019, raised $5 million uh, for a pre-commercial factory to really prove the concept. And um, I was actually speaking with a team member just days after uh, they started the machine up and processed stuff. And uh, they were really expecting... All of the problems, all the bells and whistles and things, just, you know, they're really expect. And then suddenly the machine started to churn out gold. 
and they were just like, oh, just like just huge um, excitement that um, they're pulling this off, and wow. it's it's totally legit. Um, so their their factory is uh, functioning in East Tamaki. Um, in Auckland, and uh, once they've got that, um, so that that factory can process a ton of e-waste a week, and um, once once they've got that uh, sorted, they will be moving into bigger scale, actual commercial scale. Amazing, because that is what I remember reading as well. That this is a very scalable. This solution. is this once, is city scale. So um, once yeah. they're kind of very confident in the testing, which it sounds like they're kind of getting amazing results out of right now. Then they can just go, okay, cool, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. And, and and interestingly, like so we were like, Oh my gosh, we're gonna invest in these guys. You yeah. Know, we might be the only people that realise this is <laughs> and it's like, no, they're they're playing with the big boys, these guys. Um, unless you've got a few million to drop, um, you're not gonna get a look in. It sounds like the kind of company that would probably, you know, maybe in a couple of years down the track have an initial public offering and we could buy some shares. Yeah, them. hopefully. But the other the other thing, just shout out wise, is like it's cool to hear of things like this happening, but context that's also meaningful and what this sort of symbolizes is the early funding for this company came from the Waste Minimization Fund, which is from our stuff that we send to landfill, it's taxed or a levy is ten dollars a ton. And that's one of the things that we've encouraged before on this podcast for people to submit. Last year, it was there was some consultation, and we're really encouraging people to uh, say we want that levy to be higher. It's higher in other countries, like a lot higher, um, like from sixty to one hundred and twenty sort of um, figures, so a lot higher than ten dollars a ton. And it's that money is always ring fenced for innovation and for waste minimization, and that's what these guys need to get new technology like over. The over that line and the crisis I mean there is a crisis at the moment and it's probably a good topic for another podcast another day and what's happening like the global recycling market is collapsing big time and that's got some very genuine repercussions for what's happening here in New Zealand we need local solutions so mint innovation aren't just like some cool thing happening it's like crucial to working out how we turn this problem of recycling where it's all going overseas to going well actually you know let's let's get some money from the waste we're throwing in the landfill let's give it to people who have incredible innovators and let's support them to do cool stuff and let's process stuff and make cool resources right here that is fantastic it's so nice to see a direct line going from an initiative that the government is doing to a solution that's going to solve the problem. It is really neat. Um, okay, my turn. Oh, so there's more. But wait, caller, there's more. I'm going to finish with a cool fact. The metallic value alone estimated uh, from this e-waste uh, in New Zealand that we could harvest through this technology is $70 billion. Hang on. That's a global statistic in New Zealand dollars. <laughs> Sweet. 70 billion harvested from something that at the moment we're essentially just chucking, chucking yep, away. Yep. That is or incredible. Or processing, but not, not in a clean way. Not in any and ha- ha- Over kind half of, way. of that, or about half of that, is um, gold. Yeah. Mm. I can't believe they're using cyanide at the moment. I didn't know that. I knew they'd be using something bad. But that's well, that's just, in cases when they're trying to recover it, too. Yeah. yeah. God. Okay, now it's your turn. Okay, so heard of IKEA? Yes. Global flat pack uh, sort of furniture company that tries to make things kind of cool but affordable. 
they're responding to criticism because its furniture isn't super expensive, which means it's at far higher risk of getting thrown out. And that's what's happening at the moment. It's being treated as quite disposable. And they have committed to becoming a circular company by 2030, which, according to sort of their definition of it, means using only renewable or recycled materials in its products. So that's um, by the end of this decade, they will be using only renewable or recycled materials in the furniture that they make. Um, they've already sort of started down this path. They removed single-use plastic starting from the 1st of Jan this year. Good on them. When I think of the IKEA brand, I do think of wood. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, think of Ikea, think of wood. Um, the thing is, and, and this kind of is related to what I was saying with BlackRock as well, is that these companies are not doing this out of the goodness of their hearts. They're doing so out of a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders. They have to do the thing that's most profitable and consumers are forcing them yes, into this position. Yes, that's the ethos of our podcast. We are so powerful. Exactly. There are some companies that are putting pressure on them. There's an upstart called Floyd, for example, and this I think they're American, um, and they do flat pack furniture as well. But they've founded their company basically in response to businesses like IKEA, who make semi-disposable furniture, and Floyd designed their whole company around an ethos of furniture for keeping. So their furniture is flat pack, it gets delivered to your house, but it's also constructed in a way where you can deconstruct it very easily so you can move it. Um, they come with wider warranties. They're made of better quality materials. And this is the important bit. The company also allows you to buy serviceable parts to repair the oh, furniture rather than beautiful. throw it out. So if you buy a chair and and you know a cushion gets damaged, you're able to replace the cushion. If there's some uh, welds or joins or washers or whatever specific to a table, you can buy those parts and replace it. And, um, you know, reference that cell phone episode as, as well previously, but this is something that I'm really interested in in the manufacturing and especially the technology space is building products that are upgradable and with replaceable components so that we can get away from this trend which has been happening for the last 10, well, actually longer, More. since the iPhone came around basically, of having things that if any component breaks, you got to chuck the whole thing. Because oh, before that, like you just look at food processors or, or toasters. Or, it's been yeah. going on since the 80s. That's a good point. But in terms of like consumable technology, it used to be the case that if you bought a smartphone even, you could replace the battery if that went dead. Whereas now, if the battery loses its charge, which is inevitable, you have to get a new phone, which sucks. Mm. If you smash the camera you have to replace the whole phone. That mm. sucks. Mm. And, you know, we should be able to replace the camera module. There's a, a frustration that we've had, eh, as consumers, that could be on its way out because there, there are already these emergent brands. And then, oh, so, so you've actually highlighted two really cool examples. One is a new startup and another is a really established company that's making a similar response to saying, okay, we're going to be able to give consumers more Options. I remember when, what decade was it? In the 90s, maybe, where uh, everyone was always complaining about bank fees and all of the major banks had huge, like, monthly fees. And I remember just thinking, oh, well, this sucks. This is just the way the world is. There is nothing that I can do about this. You've got to choose one of these options. And they're all really milking me for the, mm. their fees. And then at one bank was like, oh, if we lower our fees, we're going to get customers. And that's what they did. And it started this reverse war that I couldn't anticipate when I was on the other side of that. And I think that maybe we can have this future where companies have taken 
kind of taken a hit, but actually there's this flock, uh, a flood of consumers that come with it that now will create a better future. You know, I, I take uh, a lot of joy in trashing capitalism at most opportunities I can, but that is how it's supposed to work. Yeah. <laughs> As yeah. companies competing yeah, yeah. for consumer demands. Yeah. And if the consumer demands a more environmentally sustainable product and you actually vote with your wallet for that, yeah. we will see results. Mm. Um, if you if there's any nerds listening, by the way, or potential nerds, people just kind of interested a little bit in technology, there's an interesting war that's been raging in America called the right to repair, and it's been fought, um, well, largely being led by the Electronics Frontier Foundation, who um, are kind of like a bunch of nerd activists who uh, try to get things like a more open internet, they're very um, for net neutrality, and the right to repair is them trying to get legislators to enshrine into law consumer protection so that people can actually open up their iPhones and replace the battery and stuff like that um, without voiding their warranties or running afoul of terms of service. Because there's quite a there has been quite a disturbing trend towards um, in tech when you buy an item, it's like you don't actually own it. It's like the company still owns it and if you do anything to modify this item that you paid for they get to shut off the service or mm, void the warranty or do yeah, whatever they want yeah. so yeah the right to repair is a really interesting fight that's been um that's been going for ages and if you if you google around for that you'll be able to join up to some petitions and help them out have you um heard of or seen a poster that's been doing the rounds for a few years called the repair manifesto yeah, that rings a bell. That's really hard case. It's like this kind of Soviet um, people power type thing. And it's like um, we hold these truths to be self-evident. It's a really hard case. And they kind of go through that we have a right to. And then it, it talks about a right to being able to open something up. Yeah. A right to be able to fix something. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, brighter future is afoot. If these trends continue, which these are some of the uh, actually, have you finished? Because this could segue into. um, So the my last piece of good news is sort of um, about similar trends and how we uh, as consumers are really creating um, some of this this world that we've been pining for. Um, So. Earlier this month, Minister Damien O'Connor introduced the Organics Product Bill. Um, if that's passed, it's going to create a national standard for organics, which is awesome. Yeah, and that that really so like a certification equivalency that you can't use the word in New Zealand without hitting a bar. I think I think that's basically the that's the crux so of it because cool. that organic market, particularly the food segment of it, is the fastest growing sector in the world. So this is a very significant um, thing that, again, it's not necessarily driven by people with some sort of um, moral agenda. This is uh, uh, the the minister saying we need to make sure that as a nation we are in the, we're placed strategically for for this. um, Oh, I see. So our exporters. Yes. So that there's a real seal of that you can trust that if it's coming from New Zealand and it's got the word organic on it, that actually means something. And also, yeah, and also for our uh, for consumers, for so for everybody to be able to have that um, shared understanding of what that means. And Fantastic. it's a nice safe word, unlike we've talked about this before, unlike natural, yeah, yeah. or in lots of other adjectives, which is meaningless. That, meaningless. Yeah. Um, so there, uh, yeah, I just wanted to celebrate that in itself. That this is the fastest growing sector in. 
the planet. Mm. And there are some real heroes in the retail space in Aotearoa, um, which I just wanted to perhaps bring Shout to people's out. attention. Yeah. Um, so in Dunedin, there's Taste Nature and Christchurch has got Pico, Liberty Market and Whole Foods. By the way, I should have said, these are the ones I know of. Sure. Um, and huge apologies to people I've missed out, but it, it's not a comprehensive list. Wellington's got Common Sense Organics. Bay of Plenty's got Huckleberry. Auckland's got Huckleberry, Good For and The Source, um, as well as others. There's two standouts I really wanted to mention. These are people who are really pushing up the supply chain uh, to create very genuine like zero waste shopping experiences and actually influencing their suppliers to change what's normal. So in Palmerston North, you've got Bee Free Grocer um, with Bron Browning and in Wellington, there's the Hopper Eco Shop uh, with Ali Kirkpatrick um, just doing amazing work with a huge base of uh, shoppers that love what they're doing. Um, I haven't mentioned your local spot. Um, I, there's a few ways you can find information, but why don't you go check out ecospot.nz. Um, that's a just one stop short of an app. You go online, um, use the food filter um, that they have and put in your location and that will come up with a pretty comprehensive list of who's in your area right. where you can shop. Um, and then, of course, you've got your local farmer's markets as well where – um, I actually went to market myself with some produce from our farm uh, a couple of weekends ago. Nice. Yeah. How'd you get on? Well, so exciting. I was really nervous. And Is I was, it the first time you've been on the selling yes, side of things? Yes, yes. Um, we just took some pears. Uh, we had, I don't know how many, I would have, I think we easily had over 200 kg of pears. Um, wow. Just we're just normal people. <laughs> <laughs> we're just <laughs> regular. Suddenly farmers. we had, you know, I don't know actually how much it was. Like at market anyway, I took 50 kilos you must of pears. It's a bit of an orchard. It's a bit of an orchard. But if you've got a good, just even one really good healthy tree that's mature, you will get, you could you could get 100 kg off just one tree even. Wow. Um so anyway, I went to market and I, I had, I've said it to our listeners before, it's like if you, if someone's not certified organic, don't trust them in terms of anything that's on, no, in terms of what packaging is saying. Sweet. Um, like, if, like if it's not, if it's not certified, it could well be, you know, and we saw this with your cleaners, Tim, there were some that were definitely better than others. But, yeah. So I'm not saying that the claims that people are making are necessarily untrue, but I'm just saying in terms of trust. You can't there's trust not, You can't. There's yeah. not really anything there for you to really cling on totally. to. And it's just so easy to use language in a way that ambiguously, and I can get fooled. Sometimes it's the particular look and feel of, yeah. of the thing that makes me think it's eco. And I've said, so, so either, you know, you're looking for certification or if you can talk to the person who's made the thing. And so a farmer's market is great because you get to talk to a person and, and we're not certified organic. And I could say to people, I had a sign up actually about what our farming practices were. And I could just talk to people and say, this is what we do. This is what we don't do. We don't use any harmful um, you know anything that's a toxin or a pesticide or don't an ecocide? Yeah, we don't use Roundup. <laughs> um, no, we don't use anything synthetic. Um, and yeah, so anyway, it was cool to have that experience after having say, saying to consumers to do that to be able to then be on the other side of it. Um, would it be fair to say that maybe not every single, but it would be pretty close to all the operators at a farmers market? Uh, you know, bringing produce that's been produced in a 
in a good way? Great not question. It's not, no. In fact, I think that's a really good thing to be aware of because um, especially if people are selling their produce in a little bundle of hay that's nicely. Sort of, oh, yeah. <laughs> and you really go, oh, that's got to be good. Um, no, uh, I think there's a lot of um, produce Ooh. that would just be um, – Farmed with pesticides or or synthetic fertilizers. You're it's the still perfect, pretty common. You are literally the perfect person to ask. Then, what questions should I ask at a farmers market to make sure that the stuff I'm getting is is organic or good? I would ask: Is it spray free, or do you use any synthetic fertilizers? Do you use any herbicides or pesticides? Great. Easy. Three questions. And usually they'll have a sign up anyway, right? If they are spray free. Like, in my experience at the market, people will really advertise yeah. the fact that they're spray That's free. right. If there's no sign and if you're in a hurry and if there's options, then, yeah, that's possibly a sign that maybe they aren't aligned with your values. But um, if there's some sort of a sign up and um, you can see that that's ticking a few boxes for you, then great. Awesome. Hey, that's us. That's good news. Anything that you wanted to add before we round things off? No, that's that's it. Just that. Oh, even supermarkets. Uh, you know, it used to be hard to get organics in supermarkets, and that's changing too. So, oh, hugely. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just getting easier. Hooray, hooray. So there's no excuses anymore, folks. Look for your spray-free stuff that's at the, the bad farmers news. market. Get <laughs> the organic stuff, at, uh, certified organic stuff at the supermarket. Thank you, Wave. For your research. Thank you, Tim, for my research. Thank you, Tim, for and your research. Join us at facebook.com slash how to save the world, um, where we post the episodes, we post articles, stories, we have conversations on there with the listeners, and periodically we do little contests and giveaways as well. And if you've got ideas for good news, then fire them to us. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. So you can send a message to us, facebook.com slash how to save the world. Thanks for listening. Share this episode with a friend if you know anyone interested in this stuff. Otherwise, we will catch you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.